listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies, here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Go to www.qr.com.au. G'day and welcome back to episode 87 of On The Road. It's another feature-packed show for you again this week. Mike catches up with On The Road's Canadian-American mate, Gordon McGill. It's a great opportunity to be a fly on the wall as the two old truckies chew the fat on the wash-up from the Freedom Convoy in Canada and more. We get an update from our mate Wes, the tireless truckies rights campaigner out at the Gatton Pad in Queensland. And we're joined by Lyndall Denny from Women in Trucking Australia to hear all about the exciting new Foot in the Door program. Plus all the latest from the On The Road newsroom, new music from hot Aussie artist Jamie Foxton and a whole lot more. We're locked and loaded and it's time to fire it up, so let's get this show on the road! Yes, get on with it! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Very fortunate to get hold of old mate Gordon McGill. Now, Gordo joined us for a bit of a random chat while Freedom Convoy was on in Canada, in Alberta. Let us know what was going on. Gordo's driven here in Australia, so he's got half a clue about what happens. He can even speak a little bit of English. He's got a tin, <laughs> and he's got a couple of shots there to have a drink while we have a chat. <laughs> it's a lovely day over there. Apparently, his kids are in bed. His missus has shot through to visit a mate of hers, and he's decided to join us here on the On The Road podcast. Gordo, welcome back to the show, mate. How are you going over there? Oh, I'm doing lovely. Mike, thanks very much for having me, and good day to all my mates down under in the lucky country, yeah. or uh, as of late, perhaps 1984 with kangaroos, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. Yeah. <laughs> Things have been a bit interesting. Yeah, not long after I was on your show previously, the powers that be at Twitter had me removed. Yeah. There's a bit of a story to be told there. My previous attempt at Twitter was removed and they got me for ban evasion because I appeared on this rather large television news program here in America called Fox Television. I believe was started by an Australian fellow by the name of Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, he's, a, he's an evil, 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 evil man, Rupert, if you believe what you're told. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, things have been somewhat interesting. And we're a couple of months past the Freedom Convoy in Canada. And just today, we've had the follow-up to that 
There was another protest action in Ottawa today called Rolling Thunder, where a bunch of motorcycle enthusiasts descended upon our fair capital to make themselves known and be ignored once again. Oh, nice. By the lovely hair and visage of our Prime Minister, uh, Justin Trudeau. Yeah. <laughs> He's a great guy. He's an inspiration to all, Trudeau. <laughs> I just sit back in amazement, you know. I recall when I visited Canada in 2012 and I was fortunate enough to drive up from Vancouver up through British Columbia and over to Jasper and then down the, what do they call it, the Ice Parkway, that main highway, I can't remember the name of it now. It's called the Icefields Parkway, and it runs between Banff and Jasper in Alberta. That's right. Kind of along the spine of the Rocky Mountains, so to speak. That's right. Drove down that awesome scenery, and then I drove back across through Kamloops and Chilliwack back to Vancouver. That was a great little road trip, and the wife and I really enjoyed it, and Canada was so laid back. You know, the only pissed-off person I met in Canada was an Englishman. <laughs> Sounds about right. But what happened? What's happened to Canada, mate? Good question. I think we've all been asking that ourselves. Yeah, so since the Freedom Convoy's taken place, I'm sure you guys all heard about the Emergencies Act being invoked. Oh, yeah. Yep. Which was uh, sort of another reborn version of the old War Measures Act, which was only ever invoked for, well, what do you know, World War One and World War Two. And then Trudeau's father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, invoked it in 1970 during the FLQ crisis, which is when some Quebec separatists got real serious about separating from the rest of Canada and decided to let off bombs all over the place and cause a bit of a stir. Yep kidnapped a few people and it seemed a little bit more appropriate back then but even back then yeah the invocation of the war measures act during the flq crisis caused quite a stir because within 24 hours the police had arrested something on the order of 300 people yeah the vast majority of whom were not connected to the flq and it was seen as a bit of an overreaction back then the son didn't stray too far from the father and it's been seen by many here as similar overreaction and just this week. So part of the deal, Emergencies Act, as it's now called, is that if it passes Parliament and carries forward and is invoked, then it automatically triggers what they call an inquest or an inquiry as to all the specifics and details of the hows and the whys and what went on. This week, Trudeau or his people had announced that the inquest is only going to look into the actions of the protesters themselves and not the government. Right. Also, details related to the facts that the government used to actually invoke the Emergencies Act would not be released to the public. They cited parliamentary confidentiality, security concerns. So basically, the public is never going to find out exactly what it was that the government decided that they had to do this. Yeah. They're only focusing on the actions of the protesters, so the whole thing is like it's been shat from the start. The government has decided that they're all in the clear, no. that they don't need to be investigated whatsoever. Yep. And we are not entitled to know exactly the information they used to make the decision to invoke the Emergencies Act because it's far too delicate for our ears. Right. We're not allowed to hear it. It's way, way, way too delicate. 
Yeah. We're not capable of making the call for ourselves whether or not they made the right decision. Sounds like the government of Victoria. <laughs> What's happening in Victoria? Fill me in. Well, mate, look, we could just overlay. We didn't have a protest like they had in Ottawa, but our state government in Victoria have pretty much decided that they're going to have a perpetual emergency. And uh, they're not going to tell anyone why. And if you ask why, you're obviously phobic in some way. You can't know. So Really? Oh, yeah. When did this go down? When was this announcement made? Well, it's been on the go for a while now. They've only just renewed the Emergency Act, apparently, only in the last few weeks in Victoria. Huh. We've still got mask mandates in some places. We've still got vax mandates in a lot of work environments. I had two rapid antigen tests only last week. You go into some places now and they still want to stick a swab up your nose. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, this is the reason that this rolling thunder protest in Ottawa has taken place and Mm. why it's still an issue in Canada because a lot of this emergency legislation that they've invoked is still in place. And it's like, Mm. in Canada, as of our recording, if you have not taken their vaccine, you're not entitled to fly within or out of the country. You're not entitled to get on any public transportation whatsoever. Yep. And in theory, you can't get into the United States. And in theory, the vaccine mandate applies to truckies going back and forth over the border into the United States. In practice, several parts of this have fallen apart and it's all smoke and mirrors. I'll detail you how that works. So to come into Canada under the current legislation, you're supposed to put this app on your phone called ArriveCan. Yeah. However, if you actually look deep into the details of the rules, if you don't consent to it, you don't have to have it on your phone. And if you don't have a smartphone, then you don't have a smartphone. So that gets like, you don't really have to have it, even though they say you have to, you don't. Yeah. And as far as the truckies go, they're still making it that you're supposed to quarantine for 14 days after returning home from the United States. But again, enforcement is spotty. Going into the United States, the Americans say, well, you're supposed to be vaccinated as well. But the problem is, is the United States never got as serious about it as Canada. So they don't have any app you're supposed to put on your phone. They have no infrastructure in place to track you. They have no infrastructure in place to quarantine you. Basically, if you drive any vehicle or walk over the border into the United States and they say, are you vaccinated? You just say yes. And then they say, come on in. See you later. They have no way of checking on any of this stuff. So if you're some rather unfortunate sod that says, actually, no, I don't have a vaccine, Mm. they'll just turn you around to the border and send you back into Canada. Mm. But that's their only method of enforcement. Yeah. But, of course, the media doesn't talk about these granular details because they want you to be afraid. One of my best mates is a South African fellow that lives in Canada, and he came down here with his American wife to visit her relatives the other day, and they drove over the border between Quebec and Vermont, and they never asked him about his vaccination status, and they drove right in. Yeah, right. (laughs) So uh, it's a bit of a roll of the dice. I don't know how many of your listeners have been here and have traveled back and forth over the border between Canada and the U.S., 
it's not like arriving in an airplane. See, most Australians, and I'm I'm making a broad assumption here, yeah, so yeah. pardon me if this is incorrect. That's okay. We'll punch you later if you're wrong, all right? Right. Okay. <laughs> so Australia is the lucky country, but it's also an island. So that means in order to get anywhere, you got to get on a boat or you got to fly. That's right. That typically means you're dealing with airports and lots of people in uniforms and checking passports and all that stuff. Well, if you cross the border between Canada and the United States, there's literally hundreds, if not thousands, of land crossings. And there's also a cultural history of people coming and going over the border all the time. And it's just, it's a little bit loose, right? Yeah. So I'm 43 years old, okay? Yeah. I'm a bit younger than you, I think, and maybe <laughs> some members of your audience, perhaps a little bit older. Yeah. But when I was younger, prior to 9-11, Crossing the border between Canada and the United States was a piece of piss. You just showed them your license, and maybe if they got cranky about it, you showed them your birth certificate. Yeah. And they would ask you, you know, where are you from? Where are you going? And people would go shopping. They'd make day trips. It was very casual. Yep. Coming and going between the United States and Canada has decades, if not centuries-long history of being a casual affair. Yeah. And only in the last 20-odd years since 9-11 has happened, and since this permanent state of emergency that governments find themselves in, and that's a very good point you made earlier, governments don't know how to like manage anything anymore other than in crisis mode. Yeah. They go from one crisis to the next, yep. because unless they have some extraneous powers they agglomerate to themselves because of whatever the current emergency is, they haven't got a clue what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have put it better myself. So anyway, back in the day, crossing between Canada and America was rather easy. Mm. And the echoes of that are still with us today. Yeah. It's literally rolling the dice. So let's say you leave Toronto and you and you go down to the state of New York. You drive to Buffalo. There's three different border crossings along the Niagara River between Lake Erie and Lake Ontario to get into New York State. You roll up there, you pull up to the booth, the officer, the Customs and Border Patrol officer from America will ask you, what's the citizenship of everybody in the vehicle? Let's see your passports. Then they might scan them and hand them back to you and say, have a nice day. Yeah. They might ask you the usual, which is the few questions. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? How long do you plan to stay? Do you have anything to declare? The things you usually need to declare are, you know, tobacco, booze, are you bringing guns with you, stuff like that. Yeah. Most people don't. They wave you through, you go on your way. It's all, right. all very casual. But since COVID came along, they've tried to make it not casual. Yeah. But customs officers are humans as well. Some of them don't agree with any of this and don't force it. So full disclosure, I no longer live in Canada. I live in the United States now. My wife is American. I've been back to Canada to go to the Freedom Convoy protest in Ottawa, to visit my dad, visit my sister, take care of business, whatever. I've been back to Canada a number of times in the last couple of years. And every single time that I've driven back into the United States, not once, zero times have I been asked about my vaccination status, whether I've had COVID, none of it. Yep. United States Customs and Border Patrol does not care. Yep. Joe Biden cares, or maybe his people do. They make noise about it. 
but effectively the vaccine mandates and all that nonsense coming into America at the land border crossings is essentially a dead letter. Right. They don't give a shit, <laughs> right? Wonderful. It is enforced coming back into Canada. They're more serious about it. They have public health agency officials at the border. They give you a hard time. They ask you lots of questions. But going into the United States effectively hasn't happened. They don't care. Yeah, right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to throw to a break. We're going to hear from one of our great sponsors and we'll come back. And I want to talk to you about the wash-up of what's happened, particularly with the organising group of the convoy and how things look right now. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Right, oh, no, we're back with Gordon McGill. Gordo from, what is it, Appalachia or something? Is it Appalachia? Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, Appalachia. So if you're familiar with the geography of the United States, there's a mountain range that sort of runs from Georgia along up through the Carolinas, Kentucky, Tennessee, the Virginias, Pennsylvania, New York, up into New England called the Appalachian Mountains, Appalachia. Appalachia is both the mountain range, a culture, yeah. a derogatory term, a term of pride, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. And I sort of live in this like transition zone. I live quite close to the border with Pennsylvania, the southern tier of New York State. So south of me is Pennsylvania mountain country. North of me is the Finger Lakes and then the Lake Ontario sort of floodplains, which is flatland farm country. Well, so I'm sort of like in this transition zone on the northern end of Appalachia. So how long does it take you if you decide that you're going to go and visit the Big Apple, mate? How long does it take you to drive to New York from where you are? Uh, New York City from here is a four and a half hour drive. Right, eh? It's 190, 200 miles. There's a couple of different ways you can go. I could take Route 17 through New York and follow the Delaware River. I could take Interstate 81 down to Scranton, which is uh, the home of President Biden, and then take 380 to 80 and 80 into New Jersey and then have my selection of tunnels or bridges to get to Manhattan. Right, eh? That's not far then. Yeah, it's not far. It amazes me because one of the places in the world that I've wanted to visit is Washington, like Washington, D.C., but I only want to go there so I can go to all the Smithsonian museums. Yeah. Have a look at the stuff. It's one of those things I've always wanted to do. I'm six hours from D.C., six hours straight south of me. Right, eh? Well, there you go. I'm going to have to jump over and have a look. I very nearly ended up at the Mid-America Truck Show a couple of years ago, just before the COVID thing started. I'd had a plan to go to the truck show and then like spend a week at Louisville and go to New York afterwards, then fly back to Los Angeles and come home. And it got blown up like everyone else's travel plans. So 
Yeah, that happens. That'd be great to have a look. Now, let's have a chat about the wash-up from the Freedom Convoy. I believe that there's been a few developments with respect to the organisers and their situation following the protest. Yeah, so, and also full disclosure, when I was gaining some notoriety on Twitter and writing about this in a few different outlets, because I had been there and I was paying attention to it, some people mistook me for some kind of organizer or spokesperson for them, and I'm not. I went, and I'm a cheerleader for the movement. Mm. But I have gotten to know one of the organizers over time, and I know a little bit about what they're up to. But anyway, Tamara Litch, who is this woman who was one of the key organizers of the Freedom Convoy, she was the one behind the GoFundMe campaign and then the Give, Send, Go campaign and was arrested in Ottawa. There was a lot of drama with her because the government decided to make her an example. Yeah. And so they arrested her. The lawyers for Tamara Litch tried to get her out on bail yep. and out of government custody before her trial on the charges they laid against her, which was inciting mischief, because that's all they could come up with. They denied her bail, and there was some drama about that because the judge who denied it was an appointee by Justin Trudeau, and there was a few people who said that's the conflict of interest and the judge should have recused herself, yeah. but the judge didn't. And then when she had this bail hearing, they very publicly like brought her in in shackles as if she was some kind of violent criminal, yeah. and that was rather disgusting. And then eventually her bail hearing was heard and she was granted bail. And in the meantime, she's returned home to her hometown of Medicine Hat in Alberta, which is about a three-hour drive east of Calgary. Yep. And since then, she's been awarded an honor by this organization in Canada called the JCCF, the Justice and Constitutional something I'm not 100% familiar with them myself, but they basically said, hey, you stood up to the government, you stood up for what you believed in, you organized this protest, and they've given her an award. And of course, most of the media have ignored it. Yeah. Another organizer, a fellow by the name of B.J. Dichter, who was brought on later, he wasn't really part of the main thing at the beginning. He's more of a media guy. He's part of like this podcasting group from Toronto. He actually traveled to the United States and did this tour because he's quite involved in the world of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Yeah. So a whole lot of people who donated to the Freedom Convoy did so with cryptocurrencies, and he made sure that those guys got it. Yeah. And in the interim, he's been kind of on a ticky tour around a bunch of different conferences in America talking about how Bitcoin helped the Freedom Convoy people. Right. And he's been doing some writing. He started a Substack. As I mentioned previously, Trudeau has tried to mess with the inquest into the Freedom Convoy. And there's been some drama around that because it's blatantly like they're just trying to poison the well before the thing even gets going. Yep. Another thing that's taken place politically is Canada has a parliamentary system similar to Australia's. Obviously, we're all Commonwealth countries. You know, the Queen's still on our money and yours. And yeah. So our parliament, there's three major parties and a couple of smaller ones. The three majors are the Liberal Party of Canada, the NDP, who are called the New Democratic Party, which used to be a sort of labor unions, quasi-socialist party, and then the Conservative Party. 
None of them live up to their names. The Liberal Party <laughs> of Canada is not liberal. Yep. They're the authoritarian Stalinist party. Yeah. The new Democratic Party are not democratic, and they no longer represent working people. Yeah. And the Conservative Party are, I don't know what they are. They're just there. They just sort of show up and punch the clock and don't really do anything. So our entire government is a laughing stock. Yep. And so our Prime Minister Trudeau knew that what he had done to the Freedom Convoy was wildly unpopular. And he knew that one of the few tools, should the Conservatives pick it up and actually use it, and the Bloc Québécois to a lesser extent, was the power of the non-confidence motion. Yep. I don't know if that works in the Aussie Parliament, but basically like certain bills are considered confidence votes. So if like you try and pass a budget, yeah. if a budget doesn't pass, that means the government's cocked up somehow and it's considered a confidence motion and it triggers an election. Yeah. So Trudeau knew that the next time a confidence motion came up, he was done. Yeah. So he made this deal with the NDP, whose leader is this fellow named Jagmeet Singh, and he basically claims himself to be a socialist. People of that particular persuasion can argue amongst themselves whether or not he is. Yeah. I think he's just an opportunist and a identity politics hustler. But however, Jagmeet Singh has come into an agreement with Trudeau yeah. where the new Democratic Party will support the Liberal Party regardless of anything that happens, specifically with confidence motions until the next mandated election in 2025, right. provided that the Liberal Party give the NDP a bunch of spending bills and benefits that they want to see delivered to their constituencies. Right. So essentially, we have this unconventional deal between these two parties, which have guaranteed the survival of Trudeau's government until the clock runs out on him in 2025. Right, right. So there's nothing we can do to get rid of this prick until then. <laughs> uh, mate, we're just about to face an election here in Australia, and we've got the unenviable choice of voting for the current lot of seat warmers that have not done very much of any good in the last several years. So remind me, is Scott Morrison still your Prime Minister? Well, he is. We've managed to keep a Prime Minister for more than six minutes, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he's still the Prime Minister. I recall, uh, this is before COVID happened and erased everybody's memories, Yeah, but I seem to recall Australia, specifically the Labour Party there, had a lot of trouble keeping Prime Ministers. You guys had the musical chairs of Prime Ministers there for a stretch. Am I correct on that? Yeah, but they fixed that now. They've got special rules now that you can't be challenged. You've got to need a, a list of requirements like several hundred metres long before you can be challenged in the Labour Party for the leadership now. And that is in the wake of all these troubles which I just described. Oh, yeah. We've worked out now that changing horses in mid-stride is probably not the smartest move that you can make. It's been spread around. They've all done it. We had a few different ones from the Labour Party and we had like Rudd Gillard Rudd and then we had Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull and then Scott Morrison all within reasonably quick succession. It's just the way it's been. Of course, our Liberal Party, which is our Conservative Party, unlike you, Liberal Party's your left-wing party, <laughs> just to confuse the issue, well, they've sort of looked at the situation and thought, well, we need to change and, of course, Turnbull, well, look, seriously, we don't even need to talk about this shit. <laughs>
I want to talk about where we're at now as far as moving forward goes. I mean, we've got our election. We get the choice between crap and more crap. <laughs> Looks like you've got to wait for a while before you get that choice. We're seeing here the wholesale destruction of the economy in America because of the policies. I mean, isn't it a wonderful thing they got rid of all those mean tweets? <laughs> that solved everything, didn't it? Well, they got rid of the mean tweets, and then they got rid of me, too, so I can't be mean to them anymore. Well, Did I ever tell you about this story? Speaking of tweets, I was contacted by the RCMP right. several months ago because of saying mean things about Justin Trudeau on Twitter. Did you really? Yeah, there's a subdivision of the RCMP. I believe they're called the Protective Investigations Unit. All right. And then within that unit, there's a subunit of people who are tasked with going through all of social media to find anything which could rise to the level of a legitimate threat against the prime minister. So, like, yeah. if you're an American, they have this thing called the Secret Service. Those are the people tasked with protecting the president and the vice president. Yeah. So the Canadian equivalent of the Secret Service have their own unit that basically goes through social media to find people saying nasty things then to try and find them. Yeah. So apparently my operational security online wasn't very good and they found my phone number and called me. They rang me up and said, <laughs> is this Gordon McGill? We'd like to talk to you about this, this, and this. You posted on the Prime Minister's tweets and I said, you guys do realize that I live in the United States now and over and above that, like I'm protected by the First Amendment to the American Constitution and like there's nothing you guys can do. Yeah. And they said, well, yeah, we understand that. However, we were supposed to chase this up as part of the policies of our organization and we're supposed to ask you to stop. So it's all very <laughs> Canadian. It's all very polite. You know, please stop harassing the prime minister. And all I had done was like, I posted a photo of this Finnish sniper named Simo Haya. It was kind of like a sh posting tweet. And I said to the constable, yeah, you told me his name and his badge number, the whole thing. He was very polite and professional. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, like, are you aware of these websites called 4chan and 8chan? Yeah. Where, like, literal neo-Nazis and people say the most ridiculous stuff. Yeah. And he says, yes, I'm aware of that. And I'm like, okay, so you understand what posting means? And nobody really means any of this. And he's like, yeah, I get it. And I said, oh, let me tell you. My grandfather was in the Canadian Army and drove a Sherman tank across Europe in World War II yeah. to fight the Germans who had imposed Papierenbitte regime on Europe. <laughs> you know, they're asking for people's papers in order that they could travel. Mm. And I'm like, right now you're defending a guy who's done the same thing to Canada. How does that make you feel? Yeah. And all this RCMP officer says to me, he goes, well... You know, I didn't vote for him and I don't agree with him, but it's my job to protect him. Yeah. And I said, well, if it's your job to protect him from some idiot like me saying mean things to him on Twitter, I don't envy you your job. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> didn't someone from Trudeau's security detail quit very publicly? Yes. So there was a fellow by the name of Daniel Buford. He was a sniper, I believe, in the Canadian military, a pretty highly trained chap. And part of his, like, inner security detail, his physical security detail. Yeah. So Mr. Buford was not on the computer calling people like me asking about tweets. Yeah. He was actually, in the business end of it, sending and stopping bullets, so to speak. Yeah. And he quit. And then when the Freedom Convoy came to Ottawa, 
he volunteered his services to be the head of security for the Freedom Convoy. Really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's unbelievable the way all this has unfolded. You'll be pleased to know in recent developments here in Australia, you can now drive from Sydney to Perth without having to have a G2G pass. So you don't have to show your papers at the border going into Western Australia anymore for the first time in two years. Wow. When I first heard about what they were doing at the Western Australia line, mm. I've only been to Border Village once. Yeah. I lived and worked in Western Australia for a while, but I never really came to the rest of the country. I stayed in WA with the rest of the sand gropers. <laughs> but I did cross the Nullarbor once. Yeah. And I remember being at Border Village thinking... So there's a pub and like a motel and a bunch of government guys standing around and otherwise there's nothing else here. Camels. What did they set up there? <laughs> I'm honestly curious. What did they do at Border Village? Well, they just had the Australian Quarantine Inspection Service station on the highway. Yeah. And the police came and joined the party there and they were checking the G2G passports. And Aquis were doing their job that they always do with checking the imports into Western Australia. You know, you can't take your bird seed, your honey, or anything else that might cause an agricultural issue in Western Australia. You can't take a fresh salad. God, someone might die. Yeah. They have that in America, too. They used to have that in Florida and California when you cross the border into those two states. Yeah. But I haven't been to either one in a long time. I don't know if that's still going on. Yeah, so that was all they did. They basically increased the operational presence there and... There was a PCR testing station that was sort of set up there with some caravans and things and basically increased the population of Border Village by several hundred, and that was just people waiting to cross the border. So <laughs> it's just a period of insanity, and it's not over. They've relaxed all the restrictions in Western Australia now, but you still have to have your VAX mandate if you want to drive a truck or something like that in Western Australia. Something I remember from your Twitter and your own personal story, Yeah. because you were up in the Pilbara driving quads, correct? That's right, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong here, at one point, the port operators in Port Headland made it that you couldn't come on their property without the vaccine. Was that correct? Yep, still the case. And so you got skidded from your job. Yep. And as you had mentioned on Twitter, there was hundreds of drivers up there who were all doing the whole quad thing, right? That's right. So like there's a bunch of mines that don't have rail lines into them yet. That's right. Is it cloud break and Christmas something or other? Oh, I'm not familiar with those ones. I went to different mines. I've heard of cloud break and that, but I've never I've never been there. All right. There's a bunch of mines in the Pilbara. Yeah. I haven't been there since 2015, so my memory's hazy and it's old. Yeah. There's a lot of these quads, like a lot. Hundreds of them. Yes. The problem with getting drivers for those things, as I'm sure you're well aware, is you don't just get people with an MC license every day of the week. Yeah. And you don't get them who are willing to endure the fly-in, fly-out, or living in Port Adland, or all of the rest of it that comes with that particular job. Yeah. So then over and above that, they impose the vaccine mandate. Yeah. So you get skidded, and you go back to Eastern Australia, what has happened up there and have they replaced any, if not all, of these guys to do that job? I'm quite curious about this. Well, they've obviously replaced the drivers a bit. There obviously are guys that are prepared to have the backs and go to work. I was actually talking to a friend of mine working up there only yesterday on the phone and the pay's gone up from 40 to $48 an hour. 
Oh, wow, that's good money. (laughs) (laughs) And the sign-on bonus has gone up and the conditions have remained the same as they do, but they are still short of drivers. 278 drivers left. That was the number I was told. Out of how many that were up there? Oh, look, I really couldn't begin to guess, but when you consider how many drivers are used per vehicle, like it's really three drivers on rotation for every quad. Yeah, because it's a 12-hour shift and you switch out, right? That's right, and the trucks generally only have half a day off a week for maintenance. So they go into the workshop, the mechanics get them and do whatever they need to do in half a day, and the rest of the time they run. This is a trucking podcast, yeah. on-the-road podcast, Yep. and I'm going to share this with a bunch of my friends here. Like Australian trucking is like this fantasy for a lot of Americans and Canadians, and they always say, wow, don't they have like five or six trailers down there? <laughs> it's like this sort of like weird utopia, you know? But I always tell them, I said, you know, the real deal, the place where equipment gets tested the most is in the outback. Yeah. And then the guys that are hauling the most weight are these quad operators up in the northwest corner of Western Australia hauling iron ore. And the equipment just gets beaten. The weight that you guys are pulling out of the mines to Port Edland, Caratha, or wherever, and all the trailers, all the wheels. I remember when I worked there, I'd see these guys pulled over in the little park base in WA, and you'd have the infrared thing to check all your bearings to see how hot the bearings were. That's right, yep. If you want to flog equipment and put it to its maximum test in the world, it's there. Well, it's here or it's very cold places. You've also driven on the ice road as well. Well, yes. I mean, that comes with its own peculiar requirements. Yeah. But I don't think it beats the equipment like towing four trailers. Like how many hundreds of tons are you guys on your way to Port Edlin? Uh, 210 ton mine was average. 210,000 kgs. That's right, yeah. 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 Nobody on the ice is doing that. We're only doing the road legal, like 63,500. <laughs> like, there's, yeah, we're not doing that. Yes, it's cold, but you guys are towing four times the weight, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I put up on Twitter yesterday, actually, video from the mirror looking back of a, a quad going ass overhead because of poor road positioning, and it's really quite spectacular. When, when it goes wrong, it's really quite spectacular. Oh, I bet. We're just going to have to wrap this up, Gordo. Thanks for coming on On The Road Podcast, mate. I really do appreciate it. It's great to see your smiling face. Great to see you still alive and out there <laughs> kicking and, you know, annoying people. That's just awesome. We'll hope to see you again. And what can I say? Thanks, mate. No, no problem. I'm dying to meet your co-host, Andy, because he's got, like, the smoother voice, and I'm assuming he's a better-looking bloke, too. He's better-looking than me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we can get him to have a chat with you. That'd be great. (laughs) Take care, all right? Yeah, you too. Thanks, Mike. See ya. Bye. You coming there, Andy? Yeah, Mike. Got you go. Mate, we're coming up to that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're going to be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. Would want to be playing chicken with that. Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the tracks, mate. <laughs> it's not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailer. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny, though, when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. 
we're all in the same boat really mate, everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage, looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks Mike, long way to go, after you old mate. This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. Our featured homegrown music artist this week is Jamie Foxton. Following a tearaway performance just recently at the Tamworth Country Music Festival, where he held his audiences spellbound, Jamie has well and truly arrived on the Aussie music scene. So where does this unique retro bluesy sound come from? Well, believe it or not, Foxton put aside his career as a world-class skateboarder and film producer to turn his hand to creating music. To add to the authenticity, he recorded his songs at the legendary Sun Studios in Memphis, which explains the brilliant, raw-edged energy that flows through his songs. Just seven months ago, he released his intoxicating debut single, You Ring My Bell, and we'll play that for you later in the show. But for now, let's hear his latest single. If you're anything like me and you've got blues blood flowing through your veins, this song will conjure up images in your mind of some ramshackle bar in Beale Street in Memphis, feet stomping to the rhythm of the blues and the smell of whiskey in the air. Here's Jamie Foxton with Adam Blues.
G'day, everyone. This is Gordon, your favorite Canadian refugee trucker living in America, where, whilst hauling logs around the far northern reaches of Appalachia, I enjoy the On the Road podcast with Mike and Andy. Keep it up with the news and history and everything that's good about trucking and the land down under. What a great show. Thanks a bunch. It's time for That's What You Think. Wes Walker is the absolute legend who's been protesting for better conditions and facilities out of the Gatton Pad over many months now. A true terrier, just like his loyal Jack Russell, who acts as his personal security, Wes certainly hasn't given up. In fact, he's doubled down on his efforts to provide truckies with what they need out of the Gatton facility. I caught up with Wes this week for an update, and here's what he had to say. G'day, Wes. What news have you got for us, mate? Well, I'd just like to let everyone know I haven't stopped with my campaign to help everyone out. Good, good. We've actually got them mowing their weeds there every fortnight now and picking up papers because it was looking like the Gatton tip. Good start. That's just going to council and saying, welcome to Gatton. You go past the Gatton tip. They bring transport up and got onto them about it. Good. Now, the second thing I've brought to their attention many a times they put the wheelie bins in the wrong place. Yep. So we have one original setup left out of the three, which weren't enough anyway. Right. I've spoke to them numerous times that there should have been four down either side of the complex so the people can see where the wheelie bins are. Right. So they sent a big long email Friday for us to put in other submissions because they may have been overlooked with the rush of the job. Right. So I am getting headway. Okay. There's a lot of other issues out there which I've got to address. I've worked it out. There some people just parking dollies everywhere and anywhere, taking up full bays. Mm-hmm. I've got it worked out where we can put the dollies and I'll get them to mark out the area. Right. I've been looking at it the whole time and counting how many dollies and the most I've ever got up to is 17 over weeks. Okay. So I'm going to propose we do 20 marked out bays for dollies. Mm. I've also got to get a speed limit sign there as there is no speed limit there. And some of these hot riders are just going far too hard, far too hard. This is on the pad itself? Yes. Right, okay. You know, like why you'd want to go through 10 gears to get to the roundabout and hit the jake brakes has got me bugging. And they've got to respect that it's not just their setup, it's everyone's. Yeah. I've consulted with probably 50 drivers to get a time limit on the place because currently there is no time limit there. Right. You've got certain companies, which I will not name, that are using it like their own truck yard. Okay. And it's not fair for these interstaters to come there and they can't get a park. Yeah. Whether these people get upset with me that are blatantly using it as a truck yard, I really don't care. I'm here to help everyone, not just one person. Yep. I just want to make it quite clear to everyone that it's not a truck yard. Yep. So in the consensus of everyone, I'm going to ask for a 36-hour limit. Right. 24 is too short for some of these blokes that don't have dog runners, and 48 is too long because you'll get local transport to sit the trailers there for two days instead of a day and a half. Yeah. Now, I consulted with some long haulers, and they said that would be fine. 36 hours is great. Mm. So I've been doing a lot of consultancy with the men because I don't really know what they want and what they need. And if they're all going for 36 hours, that's what it should be. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Andy? Yeah, well, we had a thing on the news last week's show about one of the big BPs in Victoria in Epping, I think it was. 
having a very similar problem with a lot of the local groups using it as a, as a truck parking yard and not leaving enough room for the interstaters. So they're working out a new program down there. That's more involved, I think, with drivers going into the servo itself and stating who they are, they're there, and basically getting a pass to park there. Bit hard at the pads, I guess, because there's no one. No one to leave. Yeah. What they did was they spent a lot of money with no actual rules and regulations. So you can't blame these people that are getting away with things. Mm. But I've got to try and make it fair for everyone. And as I say again, if anyone's upset with the way I'd like to change this, it's for the better of all, not for individuals. Yep. Is that fair enough or not, Andy? Absolutely. Mate, what we might do too is put a call out to the listeners, those of you that are using the Gatton Pad. Let us know what your thoughts are. Let us know what you need. Give us your opinions and we can pass it on to Wes and I'm sure that'll help. I spoke with Jim McDonald on Friday. Mm. I asked him could he email the police to do patrols there late at night because fridge pans are getting milked. Right. Now, the last three nights I've been out there until all hours of the morning, mate, I'd like to catch these people out. Mm. Tim McDonald said, who's going to be out there with you? And I said, I don't need anyone with me. I've got a miniature rock wheeler, mate. He's called a Jack Russell. Yeah, i got one of them. <laughs> and he hates people at night around me. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. You were saying before you'd started to get some decent support from council and from the local member and stuff. Is that still happening? Well, council have been good now. They got on the main roads and start tidying up the facility and it's happening. Yeah, good. I was speaking to a truck driver Friday morning night. I said, you know, she's all moody. He said, I've noticed that every time I come in. He said, that was you, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just still chipping away. Good on you, mate. We all appreciate it. When we uh, get it done and dusted, like I've got a price on a big portable one to go there, two showers, two toilets and a urine, brand spanking new $60,000. Right. Lockyer Waste will monitor it when it needs filling up with water and emptying the waste. Right. There's a couple of ladies that said they would clean them if they put them there for us. Good. So there's been still a lot that I've been doing, and I love going out there to wave at the cameras to let them know I'm still here. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> really appreciate the update on that. If anyone can give you any thoughts, then you could pass them on to me, mate. We'll pass them on for sure. As I say, Blaine has had their fridge pan milk. Mm. I give the phone number to him. He's got to give it to their head people. Yep. I said, anything untoward, ring me. I'll get something done about it. I'm not just going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will get something done. You're a good man. You've got to look after all you people looking after the country. That's it. That's it, exactly. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, thanks for that. We'll check back with you shortly and just see how it's all going. Thanks for the update. Guys, if you've got any comments you want to make, any suggestions you want to throw at Wes's way, contact us and we'll pass it on to Wes and we'll keep things happening out there because things are moving forward, which is great. Yeah. Good on you, Wes. Thank you, Andy. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves, 
We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Hey, this is Gina Jeffries. And I'm Tanya Kernigan. And you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy. <laughs> For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. G'day, Mike. More news than you could poke a stick at this week, mate. There's been a little bit going on on the news front. We've got a bit to cover, mate. Yes, we do indeed. So I'm not going to root around for too long. Oh, no. Okay. Reading a thing about electric vehicles this morning, and they were saying that within the next 10 years, 95% of vehicles on Australian roads will be electric. Right. I guess it's safe to assume then that at least the other 5% will actually make it home. (laughs) Probably. You know I'm a cynic with this stuff. I do know you're a cynic, mate, but having said that, there are people that don't make it home now and they're <laughs> running other sorts of fuel sources. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. News just in, Mike, that Mercedes-Benz have made available an option in their Actros models that will help the truck to steer itself. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It won't be long. They're making these things that's so simple even the Nana can drive them. Mm. But there are a number of issues with that. I mean, oh, look, I love Mercedes-Benz. I had one of their Actrosses, took it for a drive. Loved the way it worked, loved the terrain following GPS and the active cruise control and a lot of great technology in those trucks. But I honestly think that when we get to the point where a truck is actually giving you steering inputs, that worries me. That starts to worry me. Mm. I'm going to want to talk some more about this. So it's now available in the Actros models. The active driver assist technology enables what they call SAE Level 2, partially automated driving capability for the first time in any Australian heavy truck. So it's my understanding of it. It uses cameras and things like that to monitor the lane markings. I'm wondering what happens when there aren't any lane markings. Yeah. There's a lot of questions to this as far as I'm concerned. I'm actually thinking about getting hold of someone from Mercedes and we can have a bit of a chat about it because I've loved their product in the past and I'd just like to know more about it, let everyone know some more. So we'll have a look at it, mate. Sounds like a plan. Mate, you're breaking up a lot there. Yeah, just hang on. We'll just try something else. Okay. Good day, thanks, mate. All right, no worries. I hope you can clean that up. In an effort to help secure Australia's long-term diesel supplies, a 30-megalitre storage tank is to be built at Park Fuels Walsh Point Terminal in Newcastle. I hope they don't need a kid with a finger to put in there, do you? <laughs> you sort of got to wonder about what happens if it has a little bit of a rupture. I suppose they've thought about all that and it'd be double skinned and all that sort of thing. Mm. But it's not a lot of fuel when you think about it. It sounds a lot of fuel. It does. But really it's not. And if it's all in one place, it's still got to be distributed. Yep. 30 million litres. You'd probably need a few bucks in the bank to pay for the fuel in there too, wouldn't you? Oh, I would say so, yeah. Uh, anyway, Park Fuels are operated as one of the port's three-bolt liquid import terminals. They're going to build this tank and try and hold a little bit more fuel on shore. But 30 million litres, I don't know how many weeks we could sit and do the maths. But the 30 million litre tank has been jointly funded by Park Fuels and the Commonwealth Government. $260 million boosting Australia's fuel diesel storage program Mm. up to around 780 megalitres of diesel storage across the country. Senator Jim Mullen has been on about it for a while saying we don't hold enough. 
we're probably going to need another 10 of these, mate, before we're anywhere close to being having enough diesel on shore. Yeah. Everything's got to come from overseas, and we know what's been happening the last couple of years. You can't even get a new car now for six months. It's ridiculous. That's right. On the subject of important liquids that go into trucks, NatRoad has asked the federal government how they intend to maintain Australia's AdBlue supply once the country's sole manufacturer ceases production later this year. Wonderful, isn't it? Hmm. (laughs) We just leap from crisis to crisis in transport, don't we? Seems that way. I've got questions about AdBlue as well, mate. Hmm. We still can't get it at the pumps properly. There are still pumps around with the out-of-service signs on them. They're still charging $2.50 a litre for it in places. They need to tell us what's going on. They want us to buy these Euro-compliant AdBlue trucks. They want us to be clean. They want us to comply with the ADRs and all the rest of it. But we're supposed to just take it on faith. People are running businesses. It's not a guesswork. It shouldn't be guesswork. That's all right. Mate, 13 rest areas across WA will be getting vastly improved amenities this year with a $20 million investment coming from a joint investment by the state and federal governments. And this is on top of the $80 million that's already been announced by the Labor Party should they come to power. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't expect that uh, Western Australia would get most of the slice of that $80 million. But anyway, go to the bigrigs.com.au website and you can see there in the story where all these places are going to be built up in the Pilbara, in the Midwest, the Gascoigne, on the Wheat Belt, down in the gold fields around Esperance, in the Southwest, all over the place. And it's mostly to do with adding ablution blocks and toilets, mm. which are hugely important improvements and help blokes actually live like human beings on the road, which has been the quest the whole time. For sure. Mate, in a follow-up to a story we ran back a little bit, a former South Australian trucking boss has lost a last-ditched effort to appeal his conviction for fuel excise fraud totalling $3.8 million. Yeah, Reginald Roberts, uh, 68, has lost his appeal and he's been ordered to serve the 10-year sentence. Mm. Court of Appeal basically upheld the ruling. I didn't realise also that he'd been involved in a like a 313-kilogram methamphetamine importing thing as well. Oh, okay. So I think this bloke deserves to be in jail, and that's the end of that. So no more. Old mate Reg is going to be seeing out the next few years looking at the view from behind bars. Hmm. Old number seven. He was the former boss of old number seven. I'm sure people around remember old number seven. Mm-hmm. 75 counts of fraud. See you later, Reg. Yeah, hey, Mate, last but definitely not least, the New South Wales government has committed to a target of halving deaths and reducing serious injuries on the state's roads by 30%, mm. with an additional $250 million going towards road safety. Yeah. Hmm. Look, I really wanted to talk about this story a lot because obviously one of the things that's most important to me being out on the road all the time is that we're in a safe as, or as safe as we can be in our environment. Mm. And these guys are always talking to talk, but they can't walk the walk. and They don't know how to walk the walk. They won't do what they need to do to make a real difference. Mm-hmm. Now, they talk about delivering new heavy vehicle safety strategies. It's not us. We're not the ones killing people on the road. They're talking about partnership with road trauma support groups and all this sort of stuff. And I'm not saying any of this stuff they're talking about is unimportant. It all contributes. But the real thing that contributes is taking the licensing out of the hands of private individuals and putting it back in the hands of independent observant regulators. Mm. You can't come here from overseas and four days later be driving a B-double. Yep. You can't drive in this country if you can't speak and read English because you can't read the damn signs. Mm. 
You can't do anything with a commercial vehicle unless you've done a proper course of training. These practical things need to be done. Those are the things that need to be done to reduce the fatalities on the road. Mm. And then people that cock up need to lose their licenses and not be allowed to drive. We hand out licenses like achievement prizes. A young girl in my family has just taken four attempts to get a license. Yep. Four. The driving instructor thought her how to pass the damn test. He hasn't taught her how to drive. Yep. And there's a vast difference. There is. We need to look at things like the way they're done in Japan, for example. Mm. Learner drivers should not be allowed to drive around with their family. Yep. Learner drivers should not be allowed to drive around in cars with multiple passengers in them. Yep. Learner drivers should not be allowed to drive in high peak times without proper experience and supervision. We need to get serious because when mum and dad teach their kid how to drive, they teach them all their bad habits and all their attitudes and all their prejudices. Mm. That has got to change. We've got to go back to teaching kids about driving and the dangers of it in high school. We've got to have vehicles like the ATA's 360 safety vehicle. Yep. We've got to have things like that going around and showing kids how easy it is to die on the road. Mm. They're the sort of real practical things we've got to do, and the government doesn't even look at that. None of the recommendations look at that. Go to the Big Rigs webpage. Have a look at what it says. I don't argue with any of it. It all needs to happen, but there's a hell of a lot more needs to happen as well. That's for sure. Speaking of the Japanese licensing system mm. for motorcycles, they have a system whereby they have a whole bunch of motorcycles ranging from 50cc up, mm. and they have them all in a shed, and they're all lying on their side. Yep. And you walk in there, and you start picking them up one by one. The first one at the 50cc, and you keep working your way up. Yep. When you get to the point that you can no longer pick up the motorcycle... Then the previous one to that is the one that they put you on and go and do your test on. Oh, okay. So thereby keeping people off overpowered heavy bikes that they can't handle. Yeah. Quite a good idea. I think they've got some smart moves going on over there. Well, they do, mate. You can have a bit of a Google to some of the driving schools and see the way they're laid out and what they've got to do. Mm. When I was over in Japan, I wanted to go and hire a car. They wouldn't let me hire one. Yeah. But, but maybe they'd heard about what I drive like. I don't know. Well, either that or they saw you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Thought for the week? Yep. It doesn't matter how big a hammer you use, you still just can't pound common sense into stupid people. <laughs> and I know that from experience. Well, you know, that's the difference between humans and computers, mate. Mm. You've only got to pound the information to a computer once. Nice. That's it. <laughs> All right, buddy. Safe travels. Thanks, buddy. Take care. We'll catch you later. See you on the road. Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. The latest issue of Big Rigs is out. They've got the pre-election special. A lot of guys have written their bits and pieces, myself included, and they're published in there for you to read and have a bit of a look at. If you can't find your free copy of Big Rigs in the Roadhouse, you can certainly download it. One of the places you can get it from is a webpage called issue.com, I-S-S-W.com. You can get it there. But there are links on the Big Rigs webpage, bigrigs.com.au. You can go there and get the links to download it from there as well. I've really got to thank Big Rigs and Prime Creative for the relationship that I have with them. Certainly, most of the stuff I write, they publish at one time or another, and they allow Andy and I to use the news to create our news segment every week on the show. We'd be at a bit of a loss. It'd certainly be hard for us to go and source news without their help because we just simply wouldn't have the resources to do it. It'd just be too hard. So thanks to them for that. And obviously thanks to them for some of the introductions that I've had to various people as well. They are a big part of what we do and I do appreciate it. 
The latest issue, as I say, is out. That's the pre-election special. Download it or get a hard copy and have a look and maybe it'll help you make a decision about what you want to do. Thanks for joining us on the show once again. See you on the road. We've spoken with Lyndall Denny from Women in Trucking Australia a number of times before. Now, it's been a while since the last time we caught up for a chat, so Lyndall is joining us again today to talk about the Women in Trucking Foot in the Door program, which helps newly licensed female truck drivers get a start in their trucking career. Lyndall, welcome back to the show. It's great to catch up again. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Now, tell us all about the Women in Trucking Foot in the Door program. Oh, gosh, where to start? I think since the inception of Women in Trucking in 2019, one issue that's become quite clear is the number of newly licensed females who just cannot get that start. Yeah, It's so difficult when you don't have that experience and they're just wandering away with comeback when you've got three years experience, which of course we all know doesn't work. Yeah. So we have a wonderful Women in Trucking Australia member, Fiona Armstrong, and Fee works for Simon National Carrier. She's a B double driver up and down the eastern states. And she phoned me and said, we need to see if we can do something to help those women into trucking careers to give them that support that they need. Mm. We'd also had been contacted by a number of different government departments with funding available, mm. but we're reluctant just to put that funding out there to attract women who perhaps might think it's a good idea to be a truck driver. I think the attrition rate would be fairly high. Yeah. But these women have gone out, they've paid for the licenses themselves, they've done the training, and clearly they want a trucking career. Mm. So Fee, of course, came up with the great name Foot in the Door Program, which is exactly what it is. It's perfect. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Mm. So we've just actually completed a second major project with NHVR Commonwealth Funding, there are road safety ads, and I've just put in a third submission for funding for the Foot in the Door program. Right. And we're expecting a response on that around June. Okay. If that goes ahead, this will become a pilot project. We anticipate that there's hundreds, perhaps thousands of women out there with heavy vehicle licenses unable to get that start. Mm. So we will connect with RTOs employers, we will find those women who will go through a rigorous assessment process. And then regardless of where they are nationally, we will hook them up with a training provider. We will get training subsidies, wage subsidies, Commonwealth funding. Right. And then we will have up to $5,000 for each female at Witter funding assuming that we're successful with our NHVR submission. Hmm. And that might be used to help them with load restraint, forklift licences. They might need a morning of reversing a B-double practice. Whatever those girls need to give them the best opportunity, I guess, to get into full-time employment is what that funding will be used for. Right. And you're calling for the support of transport businesses who can help by writing a letter of support. How does that work, Lynn? Well, there's a new criteria in the funding submissions this year, and that is letters of support from the industry. So I've sent out quite a few pleas for help. Mm -hmm. Those letters are coming in, but if there's anybody out there listening who would like to write a letter of support, please just private message me on Facebook and I'll get in touch with you and we can give you a bit of a template. 
So you really don't have to think too much about what you need to write. Yeah. The other interesting and exciting piece of news about the Foot in the Door program is that we have a German television network who has approved funding for a film crew to come out here and film some of these girls in that Foot in the Door program. Brilliant. I know. I Look, I just couldn't believe it. So the trucky gods are smiling on us. Mm. We are also looking for female driver trainers and assessors. So we have a couple of those, but more are welcome. So it's all dovetailing into what's looking like it's going to be an incredibly effective, successful long-term project. It certainly sounds that way. Now, those letters of support, you need them by May the 9th, is that right? Yes, there's a little bit of a time frame on those. I'd like to sort of be able to dump multiple dozens of them on the uh, NHVR's desk and say, here are our letters of support. Yeah. So if you've got time and you're able to provide us something on your company letterhead, that would be just beyond brilliant. And that then is the first critical step in ensuring that this project grows legs and we can get these women out there on the nation's roads. For sure. Well, time is running out fast, guys. So if you can jump on board this great initiative like right now, it would be a real help to women in trucking Australia. How can people contact you to find out more, Lyndall? They can email me at ceo at witta.com.au. Witta being, of course, Women in Trucking Australia. All right. Thank you very much for that. We'll look forward to hearing more as the program rolls in and hopefully catch up again with you soon. Oh, thanks, Andy. That'd be great. All right. Cheers, Lyndall. Thank you. Take care. Earlier in the show, we heard the latest single from Aussie music artist Jamie Foxton. To close out the show for this week, here's the song that started it all for Jamie, You Rang My Bell. You ring my bell And that's where I fell Now I'm under your spell And my heart is That's the show for another week. Thanks for coming along for the ride. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. 
For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Be sure to join us again next week when Mike says, Shit, press record quick. Andy says, I fumble around a bit. And our guest says, The guy is like the ultimate trucker of the universe. Until then, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. <laughs>